Monday, July 11th. I can't believe it. It's been a while, folks. Thrilled to be back. By the way, N, the symbol for July. Today's market call is Dan, Nathan, and myself, as always. And, of course, we're going to be joined by the great Carter Braxton Worth. 30 minutes on the clock. We're going to be fastidious about that. That's not on your bingo card. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, we're powered by Open Exchange. You can tell by my tan, Dan, and that was not meant to rhyme, that I had a good week off. Yeah, you did. All right, so talk to us a little bit about this guy. You left, right? We were talking about how the broad market, at least the stock market, was kind of limping into the end of that Q2 here. We knew that that kind of July, you turn the page, we're going to get a bunch of June economic data, and then we're going to get into Q2 earnings season. And, you know, it's funny. There's been a lot of back and forth. We've been talking about kind of how to play this thing. I think right before you left, you know, you thought we'd get a bit of a rally. I think the S&P rallied off the lows. Maybe... 8 or 9%, but it kind of petered out. It yeah. was like, it didn't have the same feel as it did in late March or the, the one that we had in May or so. So it feels like the rallies are getting less kind of convincing, if you will, off of lows. No question. I thought, again, just to, for emphasis and just to go back in time a little bit, you know, I thought the week in the end of June, basically, that quarter end week, yeah. I thought we'd see a rally. And I thought that rally would continue on a shortened week, 4th of July. And I thought we'd be trading somewhere around 4,100 by this time in July. Well, that didn't happen. I think we got up to, what, 3930 or something yeah, last bad. week. And, and that's it's obviously not that close. And to your point, the rallies are getting weaker and less vociferous to the upside. And that is concerning. I think, you know, I thought 3400 is a landing spot. I think you think we probably round trip all the way back to 3200. We'll talk about the S&P in a second. But I think it should be somewhat concerning that the rallies, especially with quarter end right there into a holiday shortened weekend, something typically we would sort of levitate into, it didn't happen. And that is concerning yeah. without question. Well, let's talk about this. I mean, look at look at this. I mean, you did have your rally. I mean, the, the market looked like it was about to get above 4,000, the S&P 500 or so. Let's throw that kind of chart up there for a second. And, you know, like the, even the shorter dated one here, we're just kind of all over the place with these today. You know, I mean, it was a bit of a downtrend here. And so we kind of got back towards kind of that upper bound of that channel, if you will, here. We kind of round-tripped the entire move from the start of 2021, Guy. And you just said, I think we kind of round-tripped that entire move from the start of 2020, if you back that out and you go to a five-year here. And again, I mean, as we think about what are the drivers, right, for the stock market right here, it's earnings. It's kind of also all of these inflationary pressures and supply chains and peak margins and all this sort of stuff that's what we're going to get a good reading on right now, right? And so as we get into kind of earnings season, and I do think it's important to kind of look at the NASDAQ here because, again, you know, we had the S&P that slows down 22%. NASDAQ was down about 32%. We just drew one line there. And look at that one, you know, going back a year or so. It just didn't even kind of sniff that last high, which was rejected at that kind of breakdown level from a few months ago. No, and that is concerning. So that down channel that I'm sure Carter can opine about when we bring him in is, is very much intact. And, you know, maybe I was too enthusiastic or too optimistic, which is something I typically never say in terms of where I thought it could go in terms of the S&P. But here we are. So you have to try to figure out, you know, how this thing is going to trade. Now, the next catalyst people will talk about inflation reading, Fed meeting. I think the next catalyst, in my opinion, it's got to be in the form of earnings, not necessarily, Dan, what companies say about this quarter or the quarter yeah. they're reporting on. But in terms of the guidance they're going to give, because I'm hard pressed to believe Companies would be pretty enthusiastic going forward. And I think you're going to see really tempered guidance going forward. Now, the question you're going to ask correctly is, is that in the market already 
My pushback would be, I don't think so. Yeah, so here's one. You and I were just got off our CNBC Fast Money call. Brian Kelly, our friend, made this point I thought was really interesting is that the VIX is at 26, right? So that measures the volatility of S&P 500 options or the companies that are in there and give you a sense of just kind of the fear that investors have as it relates to equity market prices, large cap land. And then he mentioned that the move index, which is basically the VIX on U.S. Treasuries, has just come off a 52-week high, but still very elevated. What does that tell you? And you talk about the volatility in the Treasury market all the time. And rarely do you kind of indicate that it has anything to do other than kind of bearish intentions for how it might seep into the yeah, equity well, market. Well, that's, I mean, that's the point I've been making, I want to say, close to a year now that, you know, yeah. bond volatility, if, if equity volatility were anywhere near what bond volatility has been and it currently is, that's something we would probably lead every market call with, something we'd be talking about on the tape all the time. And clearly we'd be discussing it on Fast Money. We're not. Yeah. Now, I'm not quite sure why that is. I think at a certain point, bond volatility almost by definition has to sort of temper a bit. But I think equity volatility is still too cheap here. I'm not really sure what people are looking at. But listen, when I was away, I think 10-year yields, you can speak to this, went to 275. And that was a level that we had talked about the week prior on market call. It got to the levels we thought. And then seemingly two days later, we're back above 3%. And I know you've talked about this inverted yield curve, which I think yeah. is concerning as well. So Everything to me points to more volatility in equities, yet for whatever reason, we're still sort of mired in the mid to upper 20s. Well, it's not just you calling for that. BlackRock warns against dip buying as high volatility era dawns. And I think this is interesting. Largest, what, I think institutional money manager buy assets here. They are saying we are braving a new world of heightened macro volatility and higher risk premia for both bonds and equities. The Federal Reserve, for one, is likely to choke off the restart of economic activity and only change course when damage emerges. That has kind of been your view. What does it mean when you hear a firm like BlackRock come out and make such a public announcement about it. You have to wonder where that's coming from. I mean, why would they say something like that unless they vetted it clearly, unless they think it's going to happen? I mean, I don't think they're necessarily talking their books. I think what they're yeah. trying to do is warn people the way so many other people have been trying to do over the last few months. It's been a myriad of voices that have come on and say it's different this time in the fact that the Fed is no longer backstopping this thing and things are slowing down. And optimism in terms of just earnings going forward is still too high. So, when you hear them say that, I think you, you ignore them at your own risk, the same way you ignore what Jamie Dimon said a month or so ago at your own risk. And I think to a certain extent, I think people are starting to come around to that way of thinking. I think there's still a faction of people out there still believe, you know, buy the dip mentality where you get rewarded for it every single time. But I think they're also coming to the realization that that's not the case this time, Dan. Yeah, no. And, and again, you know, you and I have tried to be constructive on individual names. Let's throw a couple NASDAQ names up here that are kind of, you know, were high flyers down, you know, a lot, cut in half. I mean, if you look at this NVIDIA, this was one that I think, you know, back in the fall, people were saying this is going to be the next trillion dollar market cap company. And since then, it's down about 55%. It's down almost 50% of the year. And when you back this thing out a little bit and you say, I mean, Carter says this all the time. I mean, support is not a point on the chart. It's kind of a, I think he says a mattress that you kind of fall into 
Well, if you look at the support zone for NVIDIA, it takes you back to late 2020, right? Or early part of 2021. I mean, there's considerable room to the downside. And we bring this case up all the time. I mean, when we've seen so many companies that were trading at 20, 30 times sales come back into single digits, right? Down 60, 70, 80%. This stock still trades 11 and a half times sales. There's room to the downside. And I just want to kind of quickly rip through a couple more. You know, this Facebook has been obviously more than cut in half. You see that kind of mattress of support. It's at much lower levels. Tesla, the same sort of thing, right? So all of these stocks, if they were to go into those support zones, are going to be down more than 60 or so percent. And these were massive market leaders. And I want to bring Carter in right now. And as we bring Carter Worth in, welcome, by the way. I think it's important to talk about Tesla here because I think there are a lot of people, and I saw it on Twitter whilst I was away, that were of the belief that if somehow he, walked, he being Elon Musk, walked away from Twitter, that would somehow be bullish for Tesla stock. And listen, I don't know, maybe it was for the course of a day or two or a few hours, but clearly that's not the case today. And I think you talk about it all the time. I mean, I think Tesla is one of the last remaining sentiment stocks in terms of you know people's view of the stock market. And if Tesla starts to give it up here, you have to wonder what's going to happen to the broader market. Welcome, by the way, Carter Worth. My man, welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. Of course, as always, it is. Look, I mean, there's always been in newspapers going back 100 years, most widely held stocks in different eras. It was IBM and GE. And now, of course, Tesla is near or sometimes on the top of that list, along with the big marquee names that we know. But as distinct from, let's take an Apple or a Microsoft, Tesla has had such a run and it it has become such a cold stock of sorts. Weakness here, and I I think weakness is coming, right? It has major implications. It's adored, and I don't think you've probably seen the end of what is coming. Yeah, so Carter, talk to us a little bit about, you had called for a rally. We got, what, 9% or so in the S&P 500 off the highs. What do you think of that rally? And is that rally over? And you know, I'll just mention this, on a day like today, okay, we're seeing the same headlines that we do about China and COVID lockdowns and the thing in Europe doesn't get a whole heck of a lot of better. And you know, yeah, the, the readings we're gonna get economic data here, whether it means for peak inflation or not, again, who knows? You know, it doesn't feel like a great day, but I'm looking at the S&P, you know, down right about, I don't know, it's well off its lows. And the Microsoft and the Apple are down less than 1%. They're massively outperforming the NASDAQ, which is down one and a half or so. Give us a sense of kind of your just kind of market feel today, starting off this week. Yeah, I mean, my hunch is the bounce has legs. Just to maybe put it in context, we know the sequencing has been very clear since the Gen 4 high. Drawdowns, bounce, drawdown, that's four of each. And the question is, Always hard to figure out, does this one, the one that's still intact, because unless until you make a new low, the bounce is intact, is this one finished or does it have a bit more to go? There are a couple of things that do matter. One, we have what is incontestable relative strength outperformance by marquee names that are super cap, several of which you just mentioned. We also know that rates are coming in, oil is coming in, all of the things that have been sort of unhappy for equities also sort of abating a bit. The whole inflation thing, you know, copper has collapsed. Everyone knows this. Oil, stocks going down is deflationary. And we know that the NASDAQ 100 has lost 35% of its value from its peak. The advanced decline line, for what it's worth, mostly a concomitant indicator, not a leading indicator, has not made the new low that the S&P itself has. Meaning, put it this way, on Friday, May 20th, the S&P was at 3,900. At the end of this week, it will be exactly eight weeks later, two months later, 
We're basically unched. Yeah. I think we're okay and that we're going to actually fill the unfilled gap above, and that's at 4020. Four, mm-hmm. That's interesting, Dan. I know you have some thoughts on this. And again, Citibank and Morgan Stanley seem to have differing points of view in terms of earnings and what it means for the broader market. We obviously know Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley. I think we know his view. I think Citi is saying to a certain extent, a lot of this might be in the market already, but let's take a look at these headlines, Dan, because I think it speaks to exactly what people are struggling with right now in the market. Yeah, so to your point, I mean, Mike Wilson has been a noted bear, and he's been right on this, and he's kind of highlighting the fact that, as we have, that earnings expectations for this year are just still way too high, right? So we're still expected to have, like, high single digits percentage growth, and we all think when you consider just kind of what all those inflationary inputs are, even though that they've come off, Guy, you've been saying that it's going to be pesky and persistent. It's going to chip away at margins. And we also know that kind of the employment story hasn't changed much yet, right? So you have wage pressures. And so, you know, I just kind of feel like that one of the things that we're going to have to deal with over the back half of this year is this whole idea that, yeah, all of those economic conditions that caused the stock market sell-off in the first half of the year are going to stick around. And it's going to be the fact that the companies are finally going to acknowledge the fact, right? And they're going to lower their guidance going forward. And that's going to be the thing that re-rates it. Now, on the flip side of that, you have City by saying that a lot of that is in the market here and we're not going to see a reversion trade. And that could be kind of what Carter's kind of thinking here. So, Guy, I'm just saying if there's a scenario and we're going to talk about the dollar in a second here. Microsoft already pre-announced, right? They said that they're having this impact from the dollar. If they come out in a couple of weeks and they haven't seen demand drop off and they've already given the guidance of what the dollar's impact is going to be on their earnings, that might be the situation where Carter's talking about or where Citi's talking about. I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Is there a scenario where maybe the guidance doesn't materialize? That is the scenario, right? Because obviously they they being Microsoft, they pre-announced, they guided on the back of a dollar. I get it. And the next shoe to drop, and we talked about it here on Market Call, was what if there's demand destruction? And are they seeing that now? Yeah. When you see a company like Oracle, for example, starting to lay people off, and you're hearing from layoffs from all different areas, all different sectors, leads you to believe there's going to be demand destruction at some point. Maybe it's not in this quarter. Maybe it's not in the guidance, but it's clearly coming. So how do we get to that level that Carter spoke to? If these companies come out and say and don't guide and actually are somewhat optimistic in terms of demand, that's where I think you get the bounce that I thought we would have already. So I think that's the scenario. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but I think that's clear the scenario where the market can rally from here. Yeah. So, and Guy, last week, I mean, Carter did a little work on the dollar. We talked about a little bit on market call, but, you know, listen, if you look at his charts that he's about to lay out, it's, you're going to be hard-pressed to think that U.S. multinationals, you know, are not going to be contending with the strength of the dollar. And we also know that that's going to be a huge impact for the developing world that is going to have even that much harder time dealing with high energy costs, f- higher food costs, that sort of thing. So, Carter, talk us a little bit about what you see this Dixie breakout and is it really does it have some serious legs here yeah so you know it's funny one of the the most important things and it's ever thus is time frames and, and knowing yeah. one is the dollar is very stretched if you would use any traditional oscillator which would be they're all known as price lines, whether it's Bollinger Band or RSI or MACD or any other thing the day-to-day week-over-week ascent is incredibly steep how far above its 150 moving average and so tactically if one is a short-term layer i think i'd fade it here it's a bit extreme now structurally and one could say wait a minute so you're saying both things you're talking out of both sides of your mouth it's not about that it's about you who are you in the market if you're a trader 
Everyone's on one side here. The dollar is too steep. But structurally, and that's what these charts are about, there's every implication that the dollar, having been a dog, had peaked in 1985 at the Plaza Court, is basically reversing. So let's look at it. The lines draw themselves. It's a well-defined range, and it broke out of the range. Look at this same thing going back. That's a weekly chart. There's monthly. Change the lines. Look at it the next way. Is it a big old cup and, or there's even longer. Sorry, I forget. That's going back to 2000. Now change the lines again. Is it a, an ascending triangle? Is it a cup and handle? Look at the next one. It is what it is. And so, again, if you really have the dexterity and you're nimble, I myself would rather be short here day to day. Everyone's on the same side. Structurally, what does this mean? The dollar is in a period of ascension, and it's probably not the greatest currency, but it's a whole lot better than other things that are worse. Yeah. I think what you're talking about here is being tactical in this environment. I think you're talking, you know, the fundamentals seem to indicate the dollar can continue to go higher, and the charts indicate that as well. In the short term, though, you could definitely see a pullback. It'll be interesting, and I'm just I'm going to question you real back quickly, Carter. You could see a pullback in the dollar, I think, if the stock market gets back on its horse a little bit. So if you see a meaningful rally here in the stock market, I think that's the environment where the dollar could actually go to the levels or at least do a bit of a back and fill here. Does that make sense? That's right. And if we went to the first chart, actually, we might have it. Where it would back back off to is the pivot point from which it broke out, right? You fall back, you hit that, and you go again. So that, that would make sense. That's around 104 on the Dixie. Yeah, and you know, again, you know, like we talk about the macro here, we're going to hit crude in a little bit. But, you know, if you were to see the dollar continue to rise here on a runaway kind of breakout here, ultimately, you know, Carter, I know that you were calling for crude not to kind of take out those prior highs from a few months ago. And it obviously has moderated a little bit. I would just say that the higher the dollar goes, the more likely it is crude to find kind of a range and not continue to surge, especially as we see kind of the fits and starts with the global economy here a little bit. So interesting one. I mean, that'll be one that I think we're going to hear a lot of companies guy when they're guiding talk about on constant currency. They're going to say constant currency. They're going to kind of try to explain away what this kind of surging dollar kind of means here. Let's talk about earnings season here because it's upon us, if you will. And, you know, this week, it, it's just Pepsi, we get it. We're going to have these consumer staples. Guy, while you are gone last week, we talked about kind of some of the staples and just kind of the impact of the dollar and their sales overseas and what that kind of means for them. One of them I think is going to be really interesting is this Delta, which is coming up. We're going to hit that a little bit. But the banks, this is the main story here. Carter, talk to us about what you're seeing in the XLF and how you kind of think of it relative to the market. Because oftentimes the first group out of the gate, the banks, the report earnings, they kind of set the tone. And maybe if we get some of the negative sentiment out of the way, we with their guidance, it might make it easier for some of the companies over the next couple of weeks as they report. Right. So as you say, it kicks off this week, the Russell 3000, uh, only 43 stocks report and 17 of them are financials, big ones, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, PNC, US Banker, goes on and on. So these charts that we're going to look at now, there are two panels. So the top panel is what it is. It says it's the XLF and the bottom panel is relative performance. So there are no drawings here. It says there are no arrows in the color. Now let's put some arrows on and look at the next. The financials have, just like the market, rallied since their June 15th low. S&P has not made a new low, nor have financials. But the relative performance of the XLF to the market, to SBY, is making new lows. Let's take this same exact sequence and do it longer term. So let's look at That's five, six, seven years. So consider that top panel. 
there's the crash, the COVID plunge, right? And then we've recovered all of that. We're making big new highs. But look at the bottom panel. No, no bueno. I mean, just down to the right. So let's put some arrows on this. Basically, you've got unbelievably bad, rel meaning if you're going up and you're underperforming, and then when you're going down, you're underperforming even more. It's the definition of negative alpha. I mean, it's like there's no reason to be here. Let's go even further. Look at the next one. This goes back, I mean, back to 1998. So how shocking. Financials on top, making all-time highs, back above their 2007 peak. Look at the relative performance. We're at the 09 crash lows. Put the arrows in. And that's a function of dilution, right? AIG, Citibank. Mm -hmm. These are just not great operating businesses. There's a reason that stocks, certain broker stocks, treat at three and four PE right now. There's a reason for that because you can hemorrhage money. There's no guarantee you're going to make money. It is amazing how poorly these stocks, specifically, and Dan has been on this for a wild card before we let you go. I mean, JP Morgan, for example, I mean, the move we've seen in that stock over the last six months, I think in a large way has been historic to the downside for a name like that, which made, I think, Dan, a 52-week low the week I was off last week. Bounced a little bit, but not much. And you, know, you look at these banks and you try to figure out what can I play into earnings and I've said this for a while, when Goldman Sachs was trading around 276, I think, ish, maybe 280, I thought it was worthy of a trade into earnings. I thought they'd be able to trade their way into a good quarter. What I've said and what I'll say here is I'm not certain the market will reward them for that, but I think the stock can rally in earnings. And that was happening for a while, but then that gave it back as well. So, you know, out of all the names out there, I think Morgan Stanley's probably the best suited for this environment. But I think at a certain point, people will look at J.P. Morgan at levels in terms of price to tangible book that we haven't seen in almost a decade and say, you know, we just got to buy it here as just a shot because, quite frankly, it's just too cheap, Dan. Yeah, I would just say this. that You know, again, Carter says this all the time. Gaps are meant to be filled. There's one unfilled gap in the J.P. Morgan, and it's from that kind of 105 to 110 level. So I, I suspect that, you know, you get that gap fill. Maybe that's kind of interesting at that point at that valuation. But, you know, my point is Carter laid out from a technical standpoint of what that underperformance looks like over multiple time frames. I'm just mentioning this year alone, you know, down 27%, down more than 30% from its highs. The bank stocks topped out before the Nasdaqs topped out. What has that been saying about what's going on in the inflation, just from a fundamental standpoint? So to me, I think that's most interesting. Carter Braxton Worth, thank you so much for joining us today. I think we'll see you later on the week. If you want to find more of Carter's work, you can find it at worthcharting.com. Carter does this really cool thing. He used that term cult stock or cult something or whatever. He's got a cult following guy. He does a midnight video of his chart picks. So tune in tonight, yeah, midnight, baby. Worthcharting.com. It's, like, it's, it's like that show that people used to go to at midnight when they used to dress up, right? The Rocky, Rocky Horror, Horror Picture, Picture show. show. Oh, there I you mean, go. That's, I mean, maybe you could do a theme. I thought you were going to say it like the Robin Bird show or something like that here. No, it's not that. All right, listen. Sorry. All right, Carter. All right, man. Thank you very much. We'll see you. We'll see you later on in the week. Guy, you don't even know what that is. You remember that late night thing? It was, you don't know the Robin Bird. Google that, people. That's going to find its way into the market called bingo, and it's going to be epic. And it's not particularly classy by any means here. All right, guy, we just mentioned Delta yeah. here. You know, these travel stocks.
stocks. We've been talking about it a little bit. They've just been a mess, right? And it's just kind of the headwinds of higher energy. It's also been, you know, the fits and starts with the global economy, reflating the China situation, you know, Europe, uh, you know, shooting war over there. Talk to me about what you expect the reaction to be. Like, by the way that stock looks, no one's expecting anything good coming out of it here. But And I think, look, Delta to me, and we're looking at the chart, I think it's the best, and we've said this on Fast Money, we've said it here, I think in terms of their financials, um, just in terms of the way they operate a business, I think it's probably the best airline out there. And I think valuation is reasonable. But you know what? You could have said that many percent ago. It's not about valuation, his names. It's about, you know, what's the outlook going forward? And quite frankly, you see, they were talking about COVID outbreaks again this morning on Squawk Box. And you haven't heard that in a while, but that seemed to rear its ugly head. And I think it's top of mind for people. So although you drew the line, it looks like it's worthy for a bounce here. I just don't know. I mean, to me, you're just throwing darts in so many names. And that's the person that thought in the second half of the year, which we happen to be in right now, all these travel and leisure stocks were going to be off to the races. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Well, you know, we mentioned the crude oil before. And I'm just curious, you know, when the CEOs of these airline stock, when they see crude come off like this, some of these companies had, some of them don't, or some do them better than others here. You know, would crude oil back there at 90 and kind of finding a home and having some of the volatility, kind of, would that help some of these companies kind of with their visibility and their guidance, especially with the stocks trading so poorly here or do you think that they just kind of kind of want to dance around it because they fully expect you know the crude market to be very volatile and then then with the backdrop of that dollar you know that was the point that i wanted to make is that earlier you know when you go back to 2013 14 15 when you know we came off of zerp and and the fed started raising rates or or indicating they were gonna you know the dollar rallied a lot and crude oil got hit pretty hard You've been on this theme and you're spot on. I think it happened later than you thought it would happen. I think you thought the sell-off and crude would happen quicker, but I will tell you it happened fast and it happened in a meaningful way. So you've been spot on in terms of your apprehension and continuing to be bullish of crude and those stocks. And if you just look at the underlying stocks, I mean, we'll probably talk about it on Market Call tomorrow. I mean, taken to the woodshed in a meaningful way. The OIH, for example, from 320 or so down to 210 is a crazy move in a very short amount of time. And I don't think it's nearly commensurate with the move we've seen in the commodity. To answer your question about airlines quickly, I think to a certain extent that headwind in terms of higher energy prices, I don't know, necessarily becomes a tailwind for them now, but I think the headwind abates a little bit. But I don't think it's going to be a meaningful impact to earnings or their outlook. So here you are. It comes down to is there going to be demand in the back half of this year? And I think that's what you're sort of all these things hinge upon. But when you see Macau closing down casinos and then you start to do the math in terms of, you know, what does that mean going forward for casino stocks and airline stocks and and names like Expedia? I mean, it's really far reaching the effect that the China zero COVID policy is seemingly having around the world. Yeah, I just want to hit one other thing, Guy, before we get out of here. We started with that headline about buying the dips and, and just being careful about that. And I think it's really interesting, you know, like, listen, I've started to pick at some stocks that I have a multiple year time horizon on, stocks that have been down at least, you know, 50, 60% or so. And we've talked about them here. It's Meta, it's Netflix, it's Snap, some of these things. And I'm fully prepared for another gap lower. But I just want to kind of highlight one thing about, you know, stocks that go down 60, 70, 80%. 
they can still get cut in half again, mm-hmm. but they can also still rally a whole heck of a lot. Here's a Roblox. Let's just look at this one. This company you know, went public last year. It was one of the hottest stocks in the market, had a massive late year breakout. And then at its lows in May from its November highs was down more than 80%. And from those May lows, the stock rallied just last week, was up 100%. It doubled, okay? So if you're a nimble trader and you're playing that, fantastic. But if that stock were to go down and retest the May lows, that means it gets cut in half again. So the point is stocks that go down 80% can get cut in half again. So it just really makes sense to kind of, you got to use stops here. If you're trading, you got to be, don't let trades turn into investments because they go the wrong way with you. But also think about when you're entering one of these positions, what is your time horizon? If it's a trade, if it's short term, use that stop. If you're saying, I want to build a position of X, you start out by buying 10, 15, 20%, and you wait for it to come your way. I have not bought a single one of these shares of any of those names I just mentioned over the last month on an up day. I'm buying them on down days. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And just, you know, before we get out of here, just, I know this becomes just a math problem, but I think by saying it'll help some people, if you have a double in something, you just mentioned it, Roblox up 100%. I mean, if something basically goes from 10 to 20 for you, you're in the trade for free at a certain point. So you have to sell half of it at least yeah. just in terms of the discipline around it, right? So just understand that, you know, you think these moves are going to continue ad infinitum, but we've talked about it here on Market Call a number of times. Some of the most violent rallies take place in bear markets. And I think specifically with Roblox and some other names that we talk about, that's exactly what we're seeing now. Yeah, just real quickly, somebody just tweeted at us. So did Carter Braxton with buy or sell the XLF? It wasn't clear. I think what he was making a very clear point is that the underperformance over all of those different timeframes that he laid out was bad. It's bearish. It's not great. He's not making a call to sell these names into the print. And I think you and I would agree on that guy. I mean, like, that's not how we trade here. The sentiment's really poor. The stock, you know, has been, all the stocks have been really bad. And we don't know what the news is going to come out. But here's the thing. Let's just say the news is not that bad in a JP Morgan or Bank America or something like that. And the stock rallies five, six, seven percent Think about that relative to where it was, right, in the fall. So again, if you have better clarity a few days after earnings and guidance is given and the stock's up, you kind of have missed it. You have, you're going to have the opportunity to buy. These things are not V-reversing right back to their prior highs. You no, agree I with agree that? with that. And before we get again, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think in the JP Morgan call, to the extent that Jamie Diamond fields questions and, and, and has some commentary, you know, does he get pushback on that, you know, we're in the, for a hurricane or whatever the term yeah. that he used. Economic does hurricane, he, he said. Economic hurricane. Does he back away from that? Does he double down on that? I think Earnings are going to be what they are. I think the stock will move on the back of whatever commentary he gives when he's asked that question. That's just my view, Dan. Yeah, fair enough. All right. That was fun, guys. Great to have you back, man. We missed you. I'm thrilled to be back. We did. Listen, we are a minute over time. I apologize, but that's on me, Dan. But that's it for today's market call. Thanks, Carter Worth, for joining us. If you like this, enjoyed it. What, what do they do, Dan? They like us on Twitter. They send yeah. us emails or yeah, the whole the whole shebang. Give us feedback. I mean, just you know, we're we're trying to check it all out. And we appreciate your feedback. We appreciate your questions, and we want to be as responsive as possible, don't we, guy? And they can subscribe. I guess they can subscribe sure. to on the tape. Okay, computer. 
any number of things, market right? Call. I mean, I mean all, yeah. all kinds of market calls. They can follow you them. on Twitter. You know what I mean? They can follow CBW Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm not a great follow, though. But, you know, I mean, uh, this is a quiet time for you guys. You don't have, there's no Rangers Twitter for you. There's no Knicks Twitter for you. There's no Giants Twitter for you. It's just the Yankees. And as you will say to us, you got the Midsummer Classic coming up here. You don't really even want to talk Yankee baseball until we're in September. No, exactly. I mean, as many Yankee fans that are out there watching this understand that the regular season is nice and interesting, and each game, each team plays 162. And for most teams, I would think in the major league, specifically a team like the Mets, that's enough. For Yankee fans that have become accustomed to winning the entire shebang, it really starts in October. And if you find that at all arrogant, that's exactly what it's meant to be. <laughs> I want to thank FactSet. I want to thank Open Exchange for powering us. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Hasta la vista, Dan Nathan. See you, bud. Thanks.